Hello and uh, welcome to Knocking Tea Kettles. Uh, my name is Alex Wallenetz and I am here with uh, Annie Marin. Hey Annie. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. So the podcast usually starts the same way, which is, can you describe yourself in one sentence? Right. And I should have been prepared for that probably. Because and nobody, that. nobody yeah. ever is, even though they claim that they listen to the show. Right. And I'm always like, oh, like I better think of a, like something, at least like something witty to say or something, but no, I don't even have anything witty. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm a writer. I feel like that tells you some things about me, but I don't think that you know, defines me necessarily. So that's probably the closest I could come. Nothing about that. So Annie Maroon is a writer. That's the sentence. I mean, I don't think that's an adequate sentence. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I would hope as a writer, you would recognize that that is not an adequate sentence. No. Yes, exactly. I mean, it has a verb. It has a noun. It has like a, it's a correct sentence. Like it's a grammatically correct sentence. It's just not, it doesn't really cover all that much. So, what is when you said being a writer means something? What is that? What what do you attribute to that? Um, I guess it means for me, it means that I'm always kind of, you know, I keep journals. I'm always recording things. I basically process things through writing about them in my life. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I write like stories and fictional things, but I'm also like writing to me is also about like keeping a record of things and remembering things. Um, so I feel like that's something that. I don't know. I guess that would tell you something about me. What, when you say that you use, you use writing to process things, what, what, can you think of any examples or what you sort of mean by that? Um, I guess just that, you know, like in, in keeping a journal, I feel like that's sort of, I don't know, it helps me go back through things that have happened to me and sort of like think about them differently. And sometimes I feel like I haven't like experienced something until I've written about it kind of. Um, so it's, you know, it's keeping a record of things, but it's also sort of, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than like processing it in my head. Can you think? Can you think of an example of something you went through where writing about it sort of helped understand the situation or change your perspective? Or, um, I mean, like everything. You know, any any like major life thing. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to college and I'm trying to like work through how I feel about leaving home, or or you know, I'm moving somewhere different, or I'm making some like major decision in my life. Um, yeah, I guess anytime there's been like a major change in my life. Or, or even some totally minor change. How like, how young were you when you started keeping a journal? I mean, I I had like I had a live journal for a couple of years. That was yes, about it. But that, I did too. And it is still around somewhere. But it was it is password locked so much that I don't know the password to it. So not only can no one ever find it, I can't access it. But it's saved somewhere. That is the best way for a live journal to be, honestly. Um. So so how long was was it something that you started when you were really little, or how long? Um, I started it when I was, I guess, like 13. Um, and I sort of, I, because yeah. You have so, so many emotions and yes, have, yes exactly. so many emotions. Right. And I, you know, probably it's better for everyone if I never like read the things that I wrote when I was 13, but I wrote them at the time, you know, and they're there and they exist and I wish they were password locked like your live journal, but they are not, alas. Anyone listening who's trying to find my live journal right now, you're not going to find it. It's not, <laughs> it's not Googleable. I've. Paid, I paid weird European SEO people to hide it. It's not – you can't find it. It's just not going to happen. Good. I need to do that. But um, 
Which, uh, do you routinely go back and read your journal, though? Do you go back and sort of see what you were thinking at 14 or 15? Well, the thing is, a lot of those are at home, like in Pennsylvania, so I don't have them here. Um, I would do it, you know, like when I was still living at home, like in high school, I would go back and look at old things from time to time. That's terrifying to me. I can never go back and look at those things. I know. I'm, I'm kind of glad that now I don't have them all sitting here all the time, because... I just, yeah, I'd rather but not. What, but, but, you, but you kind of do want to read them. So what does what going back and reading those things mean? To go see how you felt? And what, what does that offer you to sort of go back and look at your own perspective on things? Um, it's kind of strange because it's, it's weird when you like don't, like you can, you remember that you felt that way, but you don't really remember like what it felt like to be that person. You know, like you can be like, oh yeah, I remember like this thing when I like went to my friend's track meet in eighth grade, like, but you remember it kind of like it happened to somebody else sometimes, which is weird. Um, so it's like you remember it, but you don't really, you know? No, I completely get it. So like, let's go back. So your family, you grew up in in Pittsburgh, right? Or outside Pittsburgh. What, what's the... Outside Pittsburgh, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm from Latrobe, uh, which is like 45 miles outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, so... Actually, let's go back even further. So where, where did your family come from, both sides? Well, I guess we'll start with dad first. Okay, um, so my dad is Lebanese. Um, his Both of his parents, I think... Wait, how I did think, I not know this? You didn't know that? No, I don't think I knew that. See, oh, yeah. things already, okay. Okay, well, there you go. So my dad is Lebanese. Um, his parents were both first generation in the United States, I think. Like, both of their parents were, were born in Lebanon. Um, do, you know, and, do you know why they came to America? Or um, I honestly don't know. Uh, they, I don't know. It, it's, it's sometimes hard to get information out of, <laughs> out of that side of the family. Um, but I know that they came to America in that generation and they wound up in Wheeling, West Virginia, um, of all places. You know, that, that classic Lebanese route to Wheeling, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, you'd be, you'd be surprised at how oh, is many- that actually a thing? Well, you, you, like there's, for as small a city as Wheeling, West Virginia is like, there seems to be a sizable- Lebanese population, and I'm not sure why that is, but that is a thing, kind of. The only thing I know about Wheeling, Pennsylvania, is that Paul Bissonnette makes fun of the fact that he played there. That's the only thing I know about Wheeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a great city. Like it's it's in that part of it's in West Virginia, and it's in that part of West Virginia that is like basically the suburbs of Pittsburgh. But it's I mean, like you know, it's Wheeling. It's not a great place. Um, is there any part of Lebanese culture that you feel that you had growing up, or any of that, or? Not really, because I don't think my dad really was that much a part of it. Um, it's weird. Like, I, I, I learned from my grandma, like, three years ago that she taught him and his sister Arabic when they were little kids. Like, they weren't fluent or anything, but they could, like, they knew, like, foods and, like, counting and stuff. And they, like, don't remember any of it at all. Yeah. So I feel like, like, he wasn't that connected to it, so I wasn't that connected to it. I feel like that's rare for, like, a second-generation child to not be, you know, part of that. Was that an active choice from your dad or an active choice from... I don't know. I don't know. Because, I mean, like, he definitely was, like, the culture definitely was a part of his life. Like, yeah. the foods that they had and stuff like that. Like, obviously, he was around his Lebanese relatives all the time. But it just wasn't something that, like, I guess it wasn't enough part of his life that he, like, passed it on to his kids, I guess. Are you ever interested by that sort of stuff? Or does that sort of just feel like it's not part of your... Yeah, I am interested in it, and probably because I, like, didn't have that much of it in my life as a kid, but yeah. I'm like, oh, like, that is, like, half of where I come from. That's weird that I don't know more about it, you know? 
uh, so what, so like of what you've learned about it, what is it sort of, what does being Lebanese mean to you as a person or growing up? Even if, even if it wasn't something that you dealt with growing up, what does it sort of mean to you now? Um, you know, it's like, I, I don't have that clear a picture of like what, what it was like where my family came from. So I don't know if it has like, like a lot of meaning to me. I guess it's just sort of something like, like the other side of my family is Irish and I, I feel like I have a very clear picture of like what it means to be Irish. And I feel like I don't have as clear a picture of like, like the Lebanese experience in America or whatever, or, or in Lebanon or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that I can really explain like what it, what it means rather than it, it's just sort of something that like I would like to know more about. But, I but I'm, I'm at the point that you want to learn more about it now. What, what do you think that that's something that you've, you've thought about recently that you want to learn more about or is it something that you've always wanted to learn more about or like where is that sort of desire to catch up on it come from? Um, I think it's definitely been more recent. Like it wasn't something I thought about a lot when I was a kid, just probably the last couple of years and probably especially because I've gotten to know so much more about like the other side and the Irish side that I kind of feel like it's strange that I don't know more about this side. So let's let's go with the Irish side. So your mom's side, what's the specifics there? Um, so they are Irish and they, they like lived in Scotland for a couple generations. So they're sort of like Irish slash Scottish. So they, but... just, so they just hate the English basically. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't like the English. Uh, you know, my, my family, they, they identify very much as Irish. Like my mom's uncle, his house looks like a St. Patrick's day parade. Like every day it's just green and shamrocks and, and all sorts of things. So that was definitely the side that I felt like I had more of like a cultural connection to. How many generations back? were they in Ireland? Um, a couple. So it was not my great-grandparents, but maybe the generation before that. Um, oh, so we're talking about, like, 19th century, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not super recent from Ireland. So do you feel like they're, do you sort of have an actual Irish heritage? Or, like, green shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day? That's, like, is that real yeah. Irish heritage? Yeah. Well, so, like, my, you know, th there's all that. And, but, like, you know, my mom is all about, like, the Irish rebel songs and, like, reading the Irish writers and all that kind of stuff that's, you know, a little bit more real than just, like, drinking green beer or whatever. Um, so I do feel like I was exposed to, like, some actual Irish things, although it's, it's sort of that, like, romanticized, like, Irish poet rebel thing, you know? So can you think of any Irish writers that have really had an effect on you or any of the um, culture... Yeah, I mean, I read, you know, when I was in high school, I read Oscar Wilde and James Joyce and, and liked both of them. Um, I read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man and actually really, really liked that um, in high school. Um, so that was definitely something that I, that I thought was cool. Um, and, yeah, Oscar Wilde, obviously. Um, but, yeah, so those, those are probably the ones that I was, like, most familiar with the earliest. I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably making a, a pop observation here, but... There, I, I thought the Irish reader, writers that I've written, a lot of them deal with you know their own personal histories, but a lot of it is maybe massage to be a little bit more interesting or more, I don't know the right word, but more, I mean, surrealist or modernist, that they're not necessarily exactly saying what's happened, but maybe more what's emotionally true versus what's literally true. Yeah. Do, do you find that, do you see that at all in Irish literature or am I sort of? No, I can see that a little bit, yeah, because there's definitely sort of, like, this romanticization of, like, oh, like, being in Ireland and being, like, on the potato farm and doing these things that are, like, probably kind of terrible in real life, but it's sort of this sense of, like, the motherland and this, like, romantic notion of Ireland. And every, everyone sings and writes and is depressed. Right. And, yeah. 
Exactly. Like beautiful poetry everywhere and like, oh, like they're drunk, but it's romantic and whatever, you know. Uh, so, do, I mean, do you still feel connected to that or do, do you sort of see that as a romantic, like do you really just think that is a romantic image or do you think that there's something true to being Irish that is about those things? I think there, I think there is, there's something in there and, you know, having, like I studied abroad in Ireland, so I was there for four months, so I kind of got to see like what it is actually like to be in Ireland, like what it's like to be in Dublin in the like 2000s and not just like, you know, songs about being on the potato farm in the 1800s or whatever. So, I mean, it, it's hard for me to, like, I feel like obviously like any, you know, national identity, it's harder to sum up like what being Irish is than just some like romanticized notion of it definitely but i mean yeah but how do how do you reckon with it how what is your what how do you feel connected to it what is um what are the what are the parts of being irish that you identify with yourself or you sort of or do you i guess i mean i definitely the fact that there's sort like people think of there being this sort of like poetic spirit of ireland i definitely think you know as a writer i think it's cool to be in a place that is so associated with that that's so associated with like writing and creating, um, and kind of I, the thing that I the thing that is true of a lot of Irish writers also is that like they had to get out of Ireland to do what they were doing. You know, like very few of them are writing about Ireland from their little farmhouse. They like you know were in Europe doing it or were in America. And I guess I kind of I don't know. I guess you could like this is weird. I haven't really thought about this before right now, but I kind of feel like I have done the same thing a little bit in like going away from home and getting a clearer picture of home. I feel like that's something that is sort of an, an Irish thing. Well, talk about home. So can you talk about growing up where you did and sort of what, I mean, I, my, I will admit that my knowledge of outside, my knowledge of Pennsylvania is basically that I don't like Philadelphia and that is basically it. That's I, a good I, question. I, I should know, I should know better. And I, <laughs> my hatred of Philadelphia is largely about the fact that the city does not have a natural center. And I generally hate cities that don't have like a center. Fair so enough. It's like Boston, Chicago, New York are okay. LA and Philadelphia, like, there's no, like, central Philadelphia that you can, like, sort of hang out with that the city yeah. builds out from, and that's, I just hate cities that don't have that, because they always feel, like, ramshackle and weird. Right. So that's the only reason I hate Philadelphia, it's not, it has nothing to do with the flyers. Okay, but, see, I'm so, pretty so, much... It's sort, okay, it, ha, it sort of has to do with the flyers, but that's not the original reason I hate this city. Right, fair but enough. That, that's my only knowledge, sort of, of Pennsylvania, so can you give me a little bit more about growing up in, sort of, suburban... Western Pennsylvania a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a pretty, like, Western and Eastern Pennsylvania obviously are pretty different. Um, where I am is sort of, like, the beginning of the mountains. So we're kind of, like, it's weird because it's, like, suburban, but also really close to an area that's really, really like, really rural, um, but also close to areas that are just, like, housing developments. So it's sort of in the middle of all these, like, weird non-city places. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up there, it sort of just felt like probably being in, like, this, the far suburbs anywhere, where, like, the city is sort of accessible, but, like, it's not really part of your life, and, yeah, I, I just sort of felt like I was from the middle of nowhere when I was a kid, definitely. And, um, so growing up, when did you sort of figure out that you wanted to be a journalist, or was that something that sort of came into your mind early, or where did, when, um, when you were growing up, what did you want to sort of want to be? I mean, I had sort of, I went through all like the little kid things where like I was going to be an astronaut and then for a while I was going to be like a professional basketball player, which was fun when I grew up to be five foot two. Um, so, but I mean, like 
I was always writing, like from the time when I was five years old, and I. Hey, like, there, there, there are NBA players who are like five four. It's not out of the realm. That's true. I would have had to be a lot faster than I was. I, you, I was you, short. You, you, could, you could be Nate Robinson if you're allowed. Nate Robinson. I could. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that like there's one person that comes to your mind, though. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just not thinking of them right now. But there are a lot of short basketball players. If Sam was here, he'd be yelling at me. Sure. A yes. bunch more of them. Um. And but also Pittsburgh does not have a basketball team, so good. Right. Good planning with that one. Yes. Yeah, I did that. You know that. It's that the one died. sport they don't care about for some reason. I know. I know. That's that's the weird thing. Like that was actually the sport that I loved most when I was a really little kid, probably just because I was like growing up in the Michael Jordan era or whatever. It's. I mean, so you didn't feel any connection to Pittsburgh as a city. It's you sort of felt more connected to the rural parts of. I mean, I definitely felt a connection to Pittsburgh as that being, like, the city, you know? And, like, we went in for like, Pirates games all the time, obviously. So, like, I had a sense of Pittsburgh. But I didn't, like, feel like I was from Pittsburgh. You know, I was from, like, a ways outside of Pittsburgh. So, obviously, to, to levy into the Pirates, where did your sort of first connection with sports come from? Is that to me? Um, I mean, definitely from my dad, who was a huge lifelong Pirates fan and like remember seeing Roberto Clemente and all that stuff. Um, he, I mean, and my mom, my mom likes baseball too. She just has like sort of, you know, she like lived in New York for a while. So she likes the Yankees and the Mets somehow. She like thinks that's a thing you can do. I mean, um, Yankees fans don't hate the Mets. It's just that Mets fans hate right. the Yankees. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, my parents both liked sports. They definitely took us to Pirates games when we were kids. And I just loved playing sports from when I was a little kid. Like, as soon as I could play t-ball and soccer and basketball, I was playing all of them. Um, so it definitely started when I was really little. Um, so something I've talked to about a few people who are sports writers who have been on the show a lot. Um, the difference between playing a sport and writing about a sport what to you what was the difference about being an athlete and then becoming someone that talks about athletes where do you sort of see the connection or the disconnection between the two sides of it um i don't know i mean i think wanting to write about sports definitely grew out of just like sports or something i thought about all the time um like not just playing but like being a fan and just thinking like i guess I don't know. I feel like writing about sports doesn't necessarily grow out of being an athlete so much as being like a fan. Um, Cause you know, when you're an athlete, like you obviously are thinking about your sport all the time, but you maybe aren't thinking about it like that analytically, you know, you're just kind of like, Oh man, like I really want to go play hockey. So I think, I don't know, I guess that like desire to like, to know about a team and to sort of like follow them and follow the, the story arc of a season or whatever. I feel like a desire to write about sports probably grew out of that maybe. I guess, I guess, but sort of become, but becoming a journalist, a sports journalist specifically, often means that you have to give up being a fan. Right. Like the good ones do. So what is, where do you think, that, and then if, if being a fan goes into writing, what is it about wanting to write and then having to give up that fandom? What is that Yeah. Job? It's very weird. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough so far, like the teams that I've covered intensively, I've covered the Red Sox and Bruins a lot, and I wasn't like a Red Sox or Bruins fan, really. Right. Um, like it would, it would be really strange for me, I think, to like be a Pirates beat writer and, you know, obviously like a day like that might come. And I mean, you can sort of turn it off in a way, obviously, like you're not, you, it, if you're like an adult with self-control, you're not in the press box, like rooting and cheering, but I feel if, like if you're not Dan Shaughnessy, you're, you're usually right. okay. Yeah. Right. But it's weird because at least for me, you still do get invested in the teams you're covering and you might not be like rooting for them to like win exactly, but you're 
like you know them as people and you're interested in them so it's not the same as being a fan obviously but there's sort of the same like you're, you're still invested obviously yeah um so I, I i feel it's dumb that we're still talking about this in 2014 but the presence of women in sports is still i think like i'm not gonna say it's, i'm gonna say it's dumb and i don't mean that it's dumb i mean that it's like it shouldn't be an issue at this point, but it still sort of is that there's sort of right. still remnant of uncomfortableness with women in, in sport and report women and reporting, and that women don't understand sports. And it's a dumb, dumb relic of an idea. And I don't think it's true, obviously, but it's still sort of around. And sort of yes. being a female sports writer, what have you sort of have you noticed any of that, or sort of how have you reckoned with that or dealt with that? Is that even a fair question to ask? Like I'm. Oh, yeah. No, okay. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I and every other woman in the field that I know has dealt with. Um, whether it, I mean, like, I'm lucky enough to have come along after, like, the, the women who took, like, the real shit. Um, obviously, who, like, weren't allowed in locker rooms and were harassed frequently. Like, obviously, I have not had to deal with any of that. And I'm very lucky to be doing this when I am. Um, what I have gotten is sort of the more, like, the, like, subtle, like, backhanded compliments of, like, oh, wow, like, you know so much about this for, like, you know, for a girl, whatever. Or even even if that's not said, it's sort of implied. Like, I've had... Is that from players or is that from people who you... Who is that coming from? Well, I've had it... Usually, I've had a couple of coaches say things like that. Like, wow, like, good questions in this, like, sort of way that sounds nice but is condescending. And, like... Is that is that on the pro level or like at the level you're like high school level that you're at now or both? Uh, it's been in a couple of different places. Oh, that's, so, that's so depressing. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. My gen, my, I'm sorry about my gender. No, it's it's okay. I mean, I don't blame you personally. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe you should just blame just all misog uh, misandry, misandry yes, all exactly. the time. All men, all men, all the time. Um, yeah. So it's it's sort of been more like that of just like. Like, oh, like, you must be one of, like, the ones who knows about sports as opposed to, like, most women who don't, which is such a stupid way to approach things, obviously. But, like, so what? what is that sort of – was that something that sort of – when you were started journalism, was that something that you felt that – would you ever feel that because you were a girl you couldn't ever be a journalist or was – no, I didn't feel that. No. And I, I didn't even come into like journalism wanting to be a sports writer, really. I wanted to be a music writer, actually. Um, and sports just kind of like happened. Um, but I mean, I didn't feel like I couldn't do it. I just felt like I was probably like going to get more crap for things. And I, I kind of felt like I had to be twice as good um, to get the same respect, kind of. Um, do you think that, I mean, you've only been working in the field a couple of years, but do you think that that's something that's gotten better or worse or is it sort of um, I mean, over the last couple of years, you mean? Yeah. I feel like we're talking about it more, which, which is, is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, like we're talking about the fact that like things suck the way they are more. And I feel like that's definitely making people more aware. Um, I think it, it really depends on where you are. Cause I think at like, like the higher levels of pro sports, obviously like sources aren't going to be as crappy to you because they know people are paying attention to right. them. But I think, like, there's, um, so I know a woman who, like, covers minor league baseball who I think gets a lot more of that stuff just because, like, I don't know whether it's, like, you know, they're in a small town, they're in some, like, backwater place where, you know, <laughs> attitudes like that still prevail or if it's just that they don't think anybody's paying attention to them and they can be crappy. Um, so I think it, it 
probably at, at the more visible levels it might be better, but I think there's still a lot of it lurking around. I mean, I don't remember what what schedule if one if this matches up correctly because when we were both at Boston University and you covered the hockey team for a while, there was a huge controversy with the men's BU hockey team and a bunch of stuff that they were doing. Were you on the beat when all that stuff was happening, or was that? Yeah, I was. That was my junior year. Um, so, so that so can, was. Can you like elaborate that a little bit, just sort of for background, what what that whole thing was? Right. Well, so over the course of a couple months, there were two BU men's hockey players who were both arrested on separate separate incidents um, for charges of sexual assault, um, which obviously was a huge story and a huge deal, and um, obviously provoked this, you know people looking into the program in general and the, you know, the culture that allows something like that to happen on a regular basis. And there BU launched a task force into it, looking at the, you know, general special treatment that like the team had received that obviously would make them feel entitled. And, you know, nobody needs to be told that high level athletes feel entitled because they're given everything all the time. So it's sort of just, yeah, provoked a lot of discussions about that. And as a, you know, as a woman, not, I mean, again, I don't want to keep harping on this as your defining characteristic, but I mean, I'd be remiss to not ask. As a woman dealing with it, sort of the, the question of men in sports feeling like they get special privileges and women in sports are viewed as sometimes as puck bunnies or as are only interested in the sports because they want to seek with the, they're in love with the guys which is a complete misconception, but something that was really going around the campus at that point. Right. What was sort of dealing with those, uh, I don't but those undertones. Yeah. As, as, a, as the head, as the covering the reporter of the team, when the, that's such a conversation that's happening on the campus. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, you know, there was so much of blaming like, well, like if they don't want them to act like this, then like those girls shouldn't like throw themselves at them. Like it's, which is, and, and, which is obscene, but right. and like, obviously like everyone is a person who has control over their own actions, but to act like those girls are doing that in a vacuum to act like there's like no underlying social reason that that happens is just absurd. And like the blaming of like, Oh, well they only act like this because like girls treat them like they're gods. Well, why do you think girls treat them like they're gods? Cause that's how the university treats them. Right. You know, and so it just, yeah, that was kind of eye-opening to hear that from a lot of people, that perspective, which is awful. And it, it never, and it, it, I always feel like it goes back to, like, girls aren't really fans of sports, which is such a dumb... Yeah. It, it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. But actually, I want to go back to something you said. I didn't know that you originally wanted to be a music journalist. When yeah. Did, when, so when did, when did you decide, when did that sort of start, when you wanted to be a music journalist? Was that in high school or... Yeah, it was probably probably even before that. I was probably like fourteen or fifteen, and I would just read Rolling Stone all the time and read Rob Sheffield mostly. I I love Rob Sheffield a lot, um, and I just I guess I always wind up just writing about things that I'm a fan of, and I was like a really really intense music fan, um, obviously as a as a teenager, and so it just seemed natural to me to write about that. Was that something you found by yourself, or was that through friends or through parents? Where like where did you find your? Where was the music that you sort of fell in love with? Um, I mean, it definitely started with my parents. Um, I like weirdly liked a lot of the music that my parents liked when I was a kid, which I feel like is not a thing that happens generally. Like most kids, like ew, like like grown up, like boring music. Oh, because I know every lyric to every Stevie Mac, Stevie Nicks song because of yes. my mom. Yes, growing up, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, I think I definitely got, you know, between my mom and my dad, there was, like, the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel. And, like, when I was a little bit older, like, The Who and Led Zeppelin, yeah. just, like, 
by the time I was in junior high, just because my parents were always listening to it. So that's definitely where it started. I, I, I definitely like enjoyed the parent, the music my parents listened to, but I found that like once I turned like 18 or 19, I was in college and I really got into Dylan. I'm like, oh, I should go see what records my parents have. Oh, they have all of them. Yeah. And, and most of them, they have two of them because one was my dad's and one was my mom's. Mm-hmm. So I have like two copies of Bridge Over Troubled Water and some like double copies. I'm like, I don't know which one to take. They're kind of the same copies. Yeah. But, like, all of the music that my parents liked, I ended up liking later on. And like, eventually I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm listening to Sam Cooke. And my dad's like, oh, I love Sam Cooke. I'm like, you never talked about that in the entire, my entire life or Otis Redding or you sort of never talked about these things. But yeah, I kind of ended up falling into the same interests as my parents. Just, yeah. just weird things that happened. Right. But so you sort of, those were the bands you started liking. So when did you, in middle school, you started writing about it just for fun or for... Yeah, I mean, I wrote, there was actually this, like, thing in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette where they had, like, teenagers write, like, you could write, it was, like, called My Generation, and you would write in, like, oh, things God, about that's, Oh, that's such a terrible name. I know. Oh, boo. Know. Boo, I, shut it down. Shut it down. Bad I know. name. And you would just, yeah, but that was, like, the place when you were, like, 15, and, like, I wrote, like, a review when Elvis Costello came to town. I actually wrote that for my school magazine, and then it, like, wound up in the paper, and I was just so cool. Did people in your school know who Elvis Costello was? No. Okay. <laughs> like, Not It sounds like the most badass high school ever where everyone listens no. to Elvis Costello. It was, like, me and, like, one of my friends who, like, knew who Elvis Costello was. But, like, I had a great time, you know? Um, what, what's, like, Elvis, that would be, like, what, what album was that for? Kind of thing. I don't even... It was, like, 2007. He was touring with Bob Dylan, actually. Okay. Um, I don't remember what, what the album even was, but... The, 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 the uh, derisive vocal quality tour, where people are debating if they can actually sing or not. That's the right. that tour. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, to be, to be writing about music journalism for and getting that published early on, that this was something that you were obviously really committed to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really thought, like... Going into college, even going to BU, uh, that was still something that I wanted to do. It just didn't really wind up happening that way. So I, I want to go back just a step. So you're, you know, you want to do journalism for college. Um, why go all the way to Boston from suburban Pennsylvania? Where was that sort of jump from going to a? Why not go to Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, or what? What was the choice in going to BU? Um, I think I definitely wanted to be like far away from everyone I knew from high school. Um, I Wait, just, I, just the pause, but why, what, what was that you wanted to get so far away from everybody? I guess I just, I wanted, like, I was kind of tired of being around the same people and it wasn't, they were, they were like bad people or like, I hated everyone in high school. It wasn't like that at all. It was just that I sort of, I kind of saw it as like a chance to start over and do something new and kind of like not be the same person I had always been. And so I looked at schools in Boston, New York, and Chicago, and not in Pittsburgh at all, or not even like Penn State or anything like that. What was not? What was it that you want to change? That you want an association about yourself that you want to get away from, or just you want to change yourself? What did you want to change? Um, I guess that just I don't know if there was like one thing in particular. It was just kind of you know when you've been in the same small town for eighteen years, everybody knows you. Everybody knows you when you were like an awkward eleven year old, and you kind of just want to be around people who don't have those same like associations with you you kind of sure. just want to like, you know start over and be the person that you are when you're 18 and not the person you were when you were like in fifth grade I, that's true but I, I think as I'm I, I was gonna say as I'm getting older which someone is gonna get yelling at me about right now but I'm <laughs> like I, is that I found after college a couple years after college that 
in some ways, I still am myself, the person I thought I was running away from in middle school or high school. I'm still that person. It's just a different mm-hmm. version of that person. I think the idea of sort of running away from your who you were as a younger person is kind of impossible. No matter where you go, you're still going to have to deal with who you are. Right. That's what yeah. I found to be true. I don't know. Yeah. No, I definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I feel like I changed a lot just during college, obviously. So, I mean, definitely in some ways, like people who know me now don't know what I was like in junior high. And that's probably a good thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm still fundamentally the same person. It's not like I got to completely reinvent myself. The Mountain Goats was still around in high school. Yes, exactly. Well, I didn't even actually start listening to them until I was in college. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was late to the party. Yeah, yeah. My, my junior year and senior year was filled with a lot of Mountain Goats. That was not okay. a... We, we can talk about our, our shared love of John Darnielle yes. later on. But yes. John Darnielle, if for some reason you're listening, we love you. And please... <laughs> we do. You have the best Twitter account ever. The best. Oh, my God. I, I want the Carolina Hurricanes to do well, like, just for him. You or, know? The, or the Cubs. Or the Cubs, Yeah. Oh my God, they're all division rivals, man. Why does he have to like teams that are my, my team's rivals? Oh well. I, the Cubs are, wait, so first of all, the Cubs are, don't you feel kind of bad for the Cubs? You actually view the Cubs as a rival? Really? I do, I do feel bad for the Cubs. I just know that, like, with the prospects they have in a couple of years, they're going to be kicking the crap out of the Pirates, like, with regularity. And I just, I'm like waiting for that day to come with some trepidation. I guess I have to feel like, I guess as a Yankees fan, like, I never really wanted the Red Sox to win a World Series and yeah. they broke the curse. But I guess, like, Part of me would be like, if the Yankees played the Cubs in a World Series, I would be okay with the Cubs winning just to let yeah. them have one, and the Yankees have right. so many. Right. But I guess that's they're not rivals, so I don't really view it that way. But like, I would be okay with the Cubs winning one, just to like yeah. give them that. Right. No, I wouldn't hate that. Like, if if someone who's not the Pirates has to win a World Series, like I don't hate it being the Cubs. Certainly. Yeah. So, what? So you you so you what was the. But you said Boston, New York, Chicago, where do you apply to college? Mm-hmm. What were the, what was the attraction to each city? Just, was it the music scenes or was it? Um, it was just, so my mom had lived in New York, uh, like I said, and she loved it there and she took us there a couple of times. And I obviously really loved being there. I think the first time I went there, um, well, we went there when we were kind of young, but then I, I was there when I was like 13, 14 and just like loved it. It felt, you know, nothing like anywhere else I had been, just the energy of the city, the fact that like you could was just that, walk. Was that the first time you were there? Was when was it? I was there. So when we were when I was like 9, I we went like to a Yankees game um cuz we had gone to the Baseball Hall of Fame and we like, came to into New York, but I don't remember going around the city as much then. Like so before, wait, your, your mom grew up in New York or No, no, she oh. grew up in Ohio. Um, oh, okay. But she lived in New York for a year in her twenties. Oh, okay. She's 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 a nurse and she worked there uh, when she was in her twenties. So do, she do you, know, like, do you know which hospital? I believe Mount Sinai. Okay. Um, yeah. So so she knew the city obviously, and she loves New York. So she kind of took us all around, and I just loved it there. And so, and then uh, New York, Chicago, Boston. So what was the which city did you like one one city more than the other? Did you? Um, I definitely went in thinking New York um, because, like, I liked Boston. You know, I, I liked BU when I visited. I visited Northeastern too, um, but I just kind of and in Chicago. I visited Northwestern, and I really liked it there also. But I just kind of felt like I had wanted to be in New York forever. Like, if you want to like do music or write about music, you know, it, you, it's kind of hard to like not want to be in New York, obviously. Um, especially when you're like a teenager and you don't necessarily understand how stuff works, but you're just like, Oh, New York, like it's the coolest place there ever was. Um, so that was what I kind of went in thinking. And Boston was kind of like a late change in the game, really. 
I think, I mean, I think it's, because it, I mean, I, I have this thing where New York was 45 minutes away, so it was sort of present, but never, I never lived there. And I guess, I may be coming to terms with this, but I think I might just hate going to concerts in general. Like, I love music, but don't like going to concerts. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there was this huge number of concerts to go to never really alerted me, because they were always just sort of like, well, I'm not 21, so I can't really get in, or if I can get in, it's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. And... But, like, I guess sort of, like, was there a connection? What's the difference? Between, I, it's a weird question, but is there a difference between reporting on music and then having to, like, discover a band? Like, moving to New York is about finding bands before they're big bands. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's, that's the war of New York. So what was right. it? Was it about the discovery of music or the analyzing of music? I think for me it was more about the analyzing because, honestly, the thing that like the when I started to realize that I like didn't really want to be a music writer was when I realized that I was going to have to like listen to a lot of bands that I like either hated or didn't care about at all and like write about why I hated them or didn't care about them when all I really wanted to do was like write essays about bands that I liked you know so I didn't really want to be like a music journalist I wanted to be like someone who wrote like a book about music you know so, so what what's the difference between writing about music that you don't care about versus writing about sports teams you don't care about like what? What is what, where is it? Where is the difference between those two things? Um, I mean, I guess I feel like to to write well about a sports team, you kind of have to find something to care about. Like even if it's not like if I wrote about like the Dallas Stars, like I would have to find something that I found compelling about them, whether it was you know something that the team was doing that was interesting, or you know I I feel like I wouldn't be able to write well about them uh, if I didn't find at least something that was interesting. And but you can't find that in a band you don't like. Um, I mean, I don't know, because I, I really was never, I, I didn't do that much, like, real music writing past high school when okay. I was reviewing things that I liked. But that's, um, but, that, but that's what you went to college for. That's what you thought you were going to college for. Right, but I started with uh, with the free writing sports, like, my first week of college. Okay. So I, there wasn't really, like, I didn't really get that far down the music path past high school. Okay. Um, but I, I guess I just feel like, like, I could listen to a whole album of a band that was really boring and just be like... Eh, like that was really boring like it sounded like I could, I could tell you like what it sounded like and like why it wasn't exciting but I don't know I guess I just that wasn't something that appealed to me as like a whole career so I mean if you're at the on the at the Daily Free Press at the newspaper BU and you were put on this did you, you applied for the sports BU. yeah okay so was that sort of like a eureka moment that the second you're on this you're like this is what I was supposed to be doing the whole time or that you, really. that, you, that you threw away the idea of music reporting so quickly, or well, it, it wasn't that I threw it away necessarily, but I kind of I signed up for a bunch of different sections, and sports just like happened to email me first, um, and so I started. I actually started covering field hockey for them, just because I kind of thought like this will be an in. I played field hockey in high school. Probably no one else is going to want to write about field hockey, but I like it, so like this is a way in. But I did. I sort of the whole time I was doing sports, I kind of felt like okay, I'll do this through this season, and then I'll like do something else. But then it just kept like it was like okay then I'll cover women's hockey in the winter and then I'll cover softball in the spring but like after this year I'll do something different but that like the something different never happened and I realized that I really liked what I was doing but it kind of took a while. So was there ever after you sort of gone on the sports track for a couple of years was there ever a moment of crisis in which you went I should be going someplace else or was that sort of a, a constant through college? Um, I don't know that was, there was really a moment. I mean, I kind of, like I said, like I kind of, through freshman year, I was kind of like, oh man, like should I be doing, I did some news stuff for the Freak too. I did like a couple of news articles, um, 
you know, some other stuff, but I kind of wasn't sure. I was like, well, I don't want to get like stuck in sports because there's lots of stuff that I want to write about that's not sports, obviously. Um, and that's why I was kind of hesitant, but I don't know, I guess the more I got to do it, like, I still think sometimes, like, I should be writing more about others. Sorry about that. There was some audio question. There's some audio issues. Recording on Skype is not the most reliable no. recording tool of all time, but it works. It, hey. al- it allows me to talk to you in from rural Massachusetts. Yes. Sorry, Western Massachusetts. I will have people yelling at me for calling it rural. I mean, yeah, I'm in a town right now. I'm not like in the middle of a field. You know, I'm in a small town. But it's more fun to make fun of it for being a small a yes. rural thing. Of course. Yeah. So you, we were sort of talking about that you're at the Freep and you're covering sports and you're doing some new stuff. So, the, the, but there was ever a point in which, I guess, even journalism became an idea of something you didn't want to do. Was there ever a moment in college where you thought maybe I should be doing something else? Um, or I often think that like I should be doing something that's more useful to society overall than like writing about sports. I I, I feel that like that kind of feeling. But the thing that like I'm not good enough at anything else to make a living like I'm at least good enough at writing to make a living at it but I, I honestly like when I try to think of something else that I could do I can't even think of what I would do Wait, what, what do you mean by useful to society I don't know I just feel like you know at like the being end a of the doctor day, like yeah like so I don't know like like working for a nonprofit or something like I because I you know like I love writing about hockey but at the end of the day like what is better in the world because I like wrote a feature on Tory Krug you know like, right, but but the people who are working at those at the World Health Organization are probably really bummed out after an entire day and want to watch a sports game and then read your articles and that helps them right. relax. So it's, it's it, there is a balancing going on. If you're talking about sports and people who are doing more intense work need that release, and then people who do that stuff all, I think there's a balance. I think there's right. something to be. That, that sports is a relaxation for somebody who is doing something else. I, I don't think. Yeah. Don't, don't say it's not useful to society. That's right. No, I know. It's just sort of like, and I def, I do believe that. I do believe that like there is a value to being able to focus on something that's not like whatever's going on in your life. I believe that like sports have a lot of value in that way. They've had a lot of value for me personally in that way. It's just sometimes you're like, oh man, like, <laughs> like I'll, I've had more than one person be like, oh, like you're writing about sports. Like, well, why do you want to do that? Like, what's, what's like the point of that? Like, if you want to be a writer, like, why are you writing about that? And like, I have a defense for it, but sometimes I'm not articulate enough in that moment to like explain it. I mean, you just said that sports has a real value to you. Can you talk about sort of what, what that value means? Yeah. Um, I mean, so as a Penguins fan, um, I, I really didn't start like I was a big sports fan when I was a little kid, um, but then through like junior high, I didn't really watch sports that much. Um, and then I started again in high school and through like my junior and senior year, those were the two years that the Penguins were in the Stanley Cup finals, uh, which was awesome. And I like, so my, uh, uh, I'm putting awesome in quotation marks here. It was awesome for me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was not awesome for you, but it was awesome for me. And how the Pits- and the, how Pittsburgh fixed the draft against Cindy Crosby when the Rangers had the most pinballs, but I'm not going to get into this right now. Hey, water under the bridge, right? It's all in the past now. Um, then, no, it's, no it's still, it still hurts. It still hurts. Fair enough. Okay. We had five balls. You had two balls. I don't know. That was like the dumbest system that they ever had for a lottery, which was like, yeah. 
it's just like we can't just draw lots. It's like this is a number based off of the number of seasons that you. It was such a. It was ridiculous. Stupid yeah. thing. I guess we got Mark Stahl. We could have done worse. <laughs> it, yeah, could have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark Stahl. Oh boy. Um. So, anyways, um, what was I saying? Oh, about, so the, 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 you, you were following the Penguins when they were in their two-step. Right. Right. So my senior year of high school was kind of a really tough year for me. Um, just like a lot of a lot of things, I was I was really unhappy for a lot of the year um, for a lot of different reasons, and that was when like like watching the Penguins was something that like still made me feel okay, kind of. Um, like it, I sort of felt really like distant from a lot of things that I had previously enjoyed, but that was something that I could still connect to and something that I could like remind myself that I was still a little bit okay. So that was, was, was everything, I mean, I, I don't know what, what was everything okay senior year or was there something that was, there wasn't anything like nobody, like I didn't have like someone close to me die or anything. It was just, it was like sort of adjusting to moving on with like life after college. Um, I kind of had like like, kind of, like, a falling out with my best friend at the time, which was you, weird. Life, life, life after high school, not... What's that? Oh, life after high, high school, not life after college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is life uh, after high school, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I just... Yeah, I, I think just sort of, like, a lot of... A lot of, like, real-world things were kind of hitting me at once for the first time. Um, and I was also sort of, like, distant from some people that I had been close with in the past. And so it was just, like... It was... It was, it was a hard year and a weird year. Definitely. Was was the I, I, I mean I don't I don't want to focus on a hard time in your life, but was that just something about moving to college and finally moving out of sort of this town that you'd always known, or that sort of adjustment, or were you sort of preparing yourself to, to sort of? I guess so. Like that's I feel like that's like an easy way to explain it now. Um, but it wasn't. It's not like that was like what I was thinking about at the time necessarily. It was just, it was just sort of things were happening. You didn't know why they were. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just felt really, like, different than I had ever, I felt really, like, really depressed and really kind of distant from, like, the things that I had liked before, um, and distant from people, which had never really happened to me before, um, and it was really scary, and so, like, looking back, I'm sure a lot of it was, like, emotionally dealing with moving away and dealing with going to college, and I'd never, obviously, been that far from my family, and I'm really close to my family and all kinds of stuff like that, um, but at the time, I, I couldn't really, like, put those words to it, I guess. So were, were those issues of the, I mean, uh, there's two things. So, so when you actually did with the college, was that also a struggle or was that sort of fairly fluid when you were there? When I got there, it was weird because I had been so unhappy. I think that actually made it easier to leave. Um, and it was like, it was still really hard to leave my family, obviously, but it was like, okay, this is a new start and I know I really need it. As, as, I mean, as somebody who I, I can understand that I, I'm constantly worrying and anxious about things that I've worried about everything before it happens. So when the bad thing usually happens, I'm like, Oh, I've dealt with this already on a lot of emotional levels. Right. Right. So it's sort of like, I've, I've cried about this a thousand times before. I don't need to cry when it actually happens. So I know that idea of like being like overly anxious about something that when you actually get to it, it doesn't bother you anymore. It's you've already sort of dealt with it before it happened. Right. It might, might not be the best way of dealing with things. <laughs> right. Because of the things that you worry about that actually do happen, there are 9,000 things that you're worrying about that don't ever actually happen that you... Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of unnecessary worrying. Yeah. On. So I, I, I know that feeling. Um, but I know when I was in college, like, I was, I, I was felt really weird senior year when it was fine then. But then, like, towards the end of freshman year, I sort of was like, it sort of caught up with me 
of mm-hmm. what I sort of push back and I'm like, oh, wait, no, I still have to deal with all these things that I thought I had dealt with before. Yeah. So I, sometimes, it's, sometimes it, it lasts for a while, but those things are sort of going to stick with you if there's something that's... Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going on a rant a little bit. No, no, I completely get you, yeah. Um, so I guess... But, what I, I I forgot to ask this before. But so, if you played on a lot of sports teams, what was being on a team mean? I I I guess I don't think of you as a sports teamy type person. Besides you being on our playing against you in broomball, yes, <laughs> which we were all fake intense about, right? But what what being a sports like being on sports teams? What 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 did that idea of being part of a team or part of a group? I was never never played middle school or high school sports. Mm-hmm. So that that whole idea of being part of a group of kids that you rely on or are supposed to be friends with that I don't know what that experience is like. So yeah. what what did that mean to you? Um for me, I mean the probably the most like I guess my hockey team that I played on. I played with the same group of girls from like the time when I started playing hockey when I was like 11. Um, right up through when I graduated. Um, so we all, I mean obviously some of them came and went, but there were like a handful of girls that I've been with that whole time and it was it was cool because I like, I don't know. It was so much changes. Like when you're in junior high, like you don't have the same group of friends throughout necessarily. Like some people do, but obviously like I had a lot of like change there at school, but I sort of, it was like this steady like thing that I knew would be there. Like this group of people that I knew would be there. Um, and we all kind of, I don't know. It was kind of cool having like, you know, your role within the team and like, this is like what they can count on you to do. And like, you're, I don't know. I, it was, it was a really positive and wonderful experience for me, um, just playing on that hockey team and, and getting to know all those people, definitely. Was, it something, was that something that you felt like you missed when you went off to college and you didn't have that sort of... Yeah. I mean, that's probably the thing I miss most about high school, honestly, is playing organized hockey with a team uh, more than more than like anything else from high school. It's. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's funny that you played hockey for so many years but didn't really get into it until the end of high school. That sort of... I feel like it sort of goes the other way around. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I, yeah, it was weird because my brother started playing hockey. He's younger than me and he started playing when he was like seven or eight. And then I started the year after him, which is not how it usually goes either. Like the younger sibling, like gets the older sibling into something. And like, I loved hockey, but I just, yeah, I just didn't watch the Penguins for whatever reason until I was in high school. I mean, as somebody who's just started taking hockey classes a couple of months ago. Yeah. It's, it's not the easiest thing in the world. No, no, it's not. And it's probably a lot harder to start as a 24-year-old than it is as a 7-year-old. But right. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, that's not probably. That is true. I can legitimately <laughs> say that is true. That is, that is definitely a true thing. But I, I, I had been skating. Like, I knew how to skate. Um, I just had I thought I thought I knew how to skate, too. And it turns <laughs> out I didn't. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. Well, it was funny. For, like, the first three weeks, I was awful. Like, terrible. Yeah. And, like, it was strange because growing up in New York, like, we would go up to rinks and I would skate around and during the winter I would always sort of put on skates. So I sort of knew how to generally skate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I started taking this class and I'm just awful, terrible. I'm like falling all over the place, like cannot do anything, like mm-hmm. falling every five minutes and not yeah. comfortable at all. And I'm like, after three weeks, I'm like, do I have the yips? <laughs> I like, I don't know. I'm just, I can't skate. And I think yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm about to quit. And then like one of the teachers is like, Hey, what, what size skate are you wearing? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm like an 11 or 12, so I'm wearing a 12. She's like, oh, you should probably be wearing one size down. And I'm like, oh. oh. So I put on a 10 and then go back on the ring. I'm like, oh, wait, I can actually skate again. This oh, is wonderful. <laughs> like, I, I, I learned how to skate backwards, but like, oh, this is like, 
Oh, it wasn't me failing. I was just yeah. wearing the wrong size skate. Wow. You, like, didn't notice that they were way too big? I thought that was just me, and that I have bad balance, and that my feet always hurt. So I just oh. assumed... Oh, my God. I also have flat feet, so I thought that was the problem. Like the shit. Okay. So, I mean, I'm going to get hockey, my own hockey skate soon, because I have to start nice. practicing by myself. But yeah, it's a weird... It's a fun sport to play, It's, but I can't imagine, it, like, playing it on a team yet, or growing up with that. Even though, we, I guess my high school had a team. I guess I never really... I never really <laughs> sort of fell in love with the sport until college. Yeah. And... I guess I'm sorry that you came to BU a year late and got stuck. Yeah, I know. That's what I hear from everybody in your year. Like, I missed everything. I showed up in time for them to be embarrassing. Yeah, because it was just like every year it was like, well, we didn't win the Beanpot, but we had 2009. Right. And then we lost the Beanpot every single year Mm -hmm. after that. Every single year that I was there. Yep. Didn't win Hockey East, didn't win the Beanpot, didn't do anything. And BC kept winning. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. All we had was, as a freshman, was the vestigial, like, holding on to. But we won this thing, so it's going to be okay. Yep. We'll always have this memory. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Got none of it. I'm sorry. It's okay. You, ret- you retroactively get those memories once you become a BU fan. Do I? Is that you, what I get? You get, like, the... You didn't follow the Penguins and you had Yager, but you retroactively love Yager. Even if right, you- of course. Yes. I also love Yager, like, right now, because he's still just such a nutcase, and, like, you have to love him. I don't, if anyone doesn't love Yarmory Yager, I don't like that person. I mean, Penguins fans only, like, just stopped booing him. Like, they, they were... But I think it was also sort of like a, it's fun to boo him, more so than, like, we really hate him. At least I hope. It, but, was, like, it was like when he was he first went to the Flyers and he played against the Rangers, and I'm, people were booing Yager. I'm like, he was our captain. He let us in goals two years in a row. He saved the franchise. Stop. Why, why are we booing? Yeah. There's no reason to be booing. Honestly. Like, He's not and, a team that, that we're beating. There's no reason to be booing him at all. Right. Like, well, he, love the Yogs. Yeah. Yager gonna Yager. Like, no point booing him. I mean, even Yager's favorite player is Yager. Right. <laughs> and, like, I don't know what more proof you need than that. That's that such a great video clip. It was just Yarmir Yager being like, Yarmir Yager, who is your favorite player? <laughs> Yarmir Yager. <laughs> what so, I want to go back to something you said really early when you said a writer, which was that besides journalism, that you're also interested in creative writing. Yeah. And can you sort of talk about what your history with that is or what, where that started? Yeah. I mean, that started before any like journalistic aspirations. Um, I actually, when I was five years old, I wrote this story when I like learned to use the computer and type and everything. I wrote this story called the 26 super friends um, and it was about me and my whole kindergarten class and how we were superheroes. <laughs> and it's like one page and it's one big paragraph. And it is, I mean, it reads like a five-year-old's writing. What, obviously. Was, wait, what was your power? I don't remember what my power was, honestly. How do you know? Everyone knows what their favorite power is. I don't remember. Well, I don't remember what, like, what power I gave myself. At okay, so, but here's the question. Is that, who I, I think John Hodgman came up with this question, which is that what would you rather have, flight or invisibility? Right. Um, I personally think I would go with flight. I would. Really? Yeah. That's surprising because I'm invisibility. I thought you would have been invisibility too. I mean, I can certainly see the appeal of invisibility, but I don't know. Just flying sounds super fun. It sounds like a super fun way to get somewhere. I know, but it's something that would be fun once and then the government would shoot you down. Like, I feel like that would be like, yeah, it I works guess. once. Well, you'd have to be, like, creative about it. You'd have to be, like, tricky and come up with, like, strategies for flying and avoiding danger or yeah, whatever. Yeah, invisibility is the easiest thing because then you, by default. Yeah, but then, like, so what do you use invisibility for? To, like, 
and eavesdrop on things you're not supposed to, to hear. Work, to, and like, yeah, to see things that you don't have access to or learn about things. That seems like the journalist's dream to be invisible. It does. That's true. That's true. Maybe I'm a bad journalist. Maybe I should want to be invisible. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you were fiction as a kid. I was, like, when I was, like, seven or eight, I think I wrote, like, two, like, novels about time travel. So that's been stuck. That's stuck with yes. me for a long time. But growing up, was that something that was concurrent with journalism or something that you were just interested in other fiction? What was the... I mean, that was well before journalism. Because right. I sort of, like, the reason that I started even thinking about journalism was that it was, like, a way to write for a living that was somewhat more practical than, like, trying to be a novelist, you know? Like, it was... But the part like, of you really want to be a novelist instead of a journalist? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's still something that I want to do, and I still do write fiction. Um, it's just that, like, for now, I like, it's not that I... It's not like this is, like, a consolation for, like, doing what I really... Like, I actually really do love doing what I do, but... I guess you could say they're sort of concurrent right now. Um, so what, can you tell me sort of, sort of what writers you really connected to or sort of style? Like when I was a kid or like now? Or not. It doesn't matter. What, like what sort of writers do you feel most mirror your interests? Now, let's go with now. We can go with now. Now? Okay. I mean. Uh, the Giver. The Giver was really big in middle <laughs> school. Everybody loved The Giver. Everybody did. Um, I mean, right now, I, I always screw up the pronunciation of this guy's last name. Michael Shaban. Is it Shaban? Sh- it's Shaban. It's like. Shabon. It's, he says it's like the stadium. Right. Okay. So I love him. Um, I have read a handful of his books and love his um, style. And he's, he, his first book's about Pittsburgh. Right. Exactly. Is that, yeah. how, is that how you found it? or? Um, I actually found it weirdly from – I saw the movie of Wonder Boys first Okay. Um, for some is reason. Is that like Kirk Douglas? Yeah, and, Ma- and Robert Ma- 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 Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Not yeah, yeah. I know what you meant. Yeah, that guy. And Robert Downey Jr. and Francis McDormand. Um, and it's, yeah, and I liked the movie and then I read the book and was like, oh, this is way, way better than the movie. Um, and then from there I read Mysteries of Pittsburgh and Cavalier and Clay and all the other stuff. Um, and yeah, he's definitely somebody that I wish I could write like. I mean, he's one of my favorite authors as well. So what is it about his writing that really, that you sort of, makes you think of him as your default writer that you go to when I ask the question? Um, I think there's, there's a lot of things. I mean... The way that the way that he like uses some of the figurative language that he does, like the way that he like he has these very specific like similes, like so and so did this like a uh, very specific thing that he somehow pulls off, and it's like something you never would have thought of, and like that's something that's very easy to like screw up and to be like a bad part of your writing. Like if yeah. you do that badly, you just sound like a total idiot. But he somehow pulls it off and just like evokes things so perfectly. Um, that is that's something that I definitely aspire to. Um, and I feel like he has a, st- like, he sometimes can ramble on a little bit and like, yes. off the point. I, will, I will say that, that, uh, Telegraph Avenue was on the bad side of ranting for no, and going yeah. off, off topic for no reason. Right. Yeah. That was one that it took me, I think we talked about it a little bit, but it took me a long time to get into that one because I was just like, okay, like I get that we're setting this scene, but like we've been setting the scene for like 200 pages now. It took, the only way I finished it was, it was that I was in San Francisco for a week and I'm like, okay, I, if I'm not going to finish this here, I'm not going to finish it. So Yeah, exactly. I liked it in the end, but it took me a while to get there. Well, I think, I, I think Shabon Shabbat is actually a really interesting peril because I think one of his big things is having almost concurrent stories happening in his novels where he has the sort of the 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 truth of what's happening in his story mm-hmm. and then literally has a secondary fictional story that's running parallel to the current story. Right. And I think there's something interesting about him having the actual truth and then 
the fictional high truth, even though both are fictional, right. we're sort of dealing with fiction in the fiction in fiction within fiction, right? And what is true and what's not true. I think there's a really interesting dynamic there, and I wonder if there is a. It almost seems like there might be a connection to journalism there about the idea of trying to identify real truth versus emotional truth, and there might be a connection between the. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's like, yeah, absolutely, and that's something that that interests me about about him, you know, Cavalier and Clay, obviously he does a lot of that with like the, the comic book story. And, and, and but literally the golem sort of going through right. Europe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's definitely something that he does really well. And did you read, did you read Yiddish Policeman's Union? I have started it actually. I've not finished it. I mean, like, but even that one, like that is playing off of your knowledge of the fact that this never happens. So you're comp- right. constantly comparing it to the reality of the truth versus what is happening in here. And he's sort of asking you to, deal with the emotional effects of this, even if you know that the literal thing is not true. I think that is sort of what he's doing with a lot of his work, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's so, like, even if it's not a real place, he's so, like, meticulous with the detail of it. Like, he's so great at building a universe that you like, like, whether it's something that's historical fiction that's actually based in something or it's not, I think he does a really good job of, of creating universes like that. Um... Is there anyone else besides Shabon you can really think of that you really sort of? Um, I mean, like I want to be Juno Diaz when I grow up. Like I think anybody who writes at all probably does. Um, and I, I sort of like hadn't been writing that much through like sophomore junior year of college. Like I didn't write fiction that much because I was writing about hockey all the time. But right. like I read Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, and it was like I just started writing again. Another guy who's doing the actual who has that fake history thing going through right. the background. By the way, I've now realized that they are all stealing that from David Foster Wallace. I have now yeah. learned that, that everyone is stealing from Infinite Jest. Right. See, I, I have to read Infinite Jest because I haven't gotten there yet. I don't want to be the guy because everyone hates the guy who's always talking about Infinite Jest. Yeah. But I've, it's become clear to me, like, how much, like, Shabon, Diaz, uh, Franzen, mm-hmm. all of them are sort of, that, the, the parallel story things was really, they're taking it a lot from Infinite Jest. And he's taking it from... Joyce and all those other things, but they're sort of all coming from the same place. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, I've read a couple of his essays, David Foster Wallace, and I was reading one of them and I was like, oh my God, like he invented Chuck Klosterman. Like this is, this is where he came from. <laughs> Chuck Klosterman did not exist. He literally made the person. He Chuck literally Klosterman. made him up. Yes, exactly. Um, I was actually talking with this about like, why is Chuck Klosterman on the masthead for, uh, uh, what do you call it? For Grantland? Yeah, Grantland. He, I don't think he's written anything for them for years, nor is he a sports writer. Nor right. Is... I don't know, honestly. I haven't... I haven't he's, the, he's the ethicist for the New York like New York Times Magazine. That's all he right. seems to be doing now. I don't know. Yeah. So we lost audio connection again. Maybe the internet mind of Chuck Klosterman was angry at us for... Probably. ...making fun of him. Right. Although I love, I mean, he is another guy who talks about, he's a great music journalist. And I'm, right. was that someone that you read a lot when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I like, like reading Killing Yourself to Live. Actually, that was the first thing that I read of his. And I, I like wrote like him for the next two or three years. Like I look back at things I wrote now, I'm like, oh my God, like, could you just rip off Chuck anymore? So he was definitely a big influence. But he's also ripping everybody else off. Everybody's ripping right. somebody else off. It's a, that's, Right. It was just, he was the one who I saw first. So yeah. I didn't that he was ripping off David Foster Wallace. I just knew that, like, that's how he wrote, you know? So, obviously, like, you're, you're, you're doing journalism now, but if you had the opportunity and you could just sort of 
had the time and the space and the money to do so, would you want to be pursuing creative fiction or are you happy with the, the journalism that you're in now? I would, I wish I could do both like simultaneously. Cause I really do like what I'm doing. Like people think of like writing high school sports as like, you know, the bottom rung and like you work your way up and like to some degree it is, but I actually am really enjoying it. But I also would like to like have time and creative energy left over to write more fiction because I, I haven't done that much of it the last couple months. So I, I, I would like to do both. <laughs> so wh- when you say that you, pe- you think that people look down on covering sport, high, high school journalism, what, what is it to you that, make, that you think is, is worth covering? I mean, it's very different than like covering pro sports, obviously, because like I've covered the Red Sox a good bit. And like, you know, David Ortiz does not care if you write about him. Like he does not care what I have to say about him. But covering high school sports is different because you sort of see like the, the response to an article on a much more like immediate local level. Like these are like high school soccer players who don't get written about, but like their family thinks it's really cool that you wrote about them. And like, it's sort of, it, it, it's interesting to see like, I feel like you see the feedback much more, which is kind of cool. Um, and for me, especially this, this might seem kind of silly, but I, I like writing about girls, high school sports. Cause I kind of like being like an affirming thing for girls in high school and being like, yeah, like it's awesome that you are really good at field hockey. Like good for you. Cause I feel like they don't get enough of that really. No, no, I, I no, I think that's something that's important. I hope that in the future, it's something that's not a prerogative that people have to sort of, if that makes sense. I hope that that becomes the norm and that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not, you know, that's just sort of something that I've like noticed as a byproduct of it. But I I think it's, I think it's cool to be able to give attention to like, not just like top recruit football players, but like kids who are like working their asses off playing like, like girls playing soccer, you know, cause they're also working really hard and it's also a huge part of their lives. Has any of the players reached out to you as a journalist and being like, Oh, I'm interested in doing this. And Um, I don't think I've ever had a player do that. No, I've had, it was funny the other day I had a girl be like, Oh, like BU soccer is recruiting me. And I was like, go to BU. It's great. But, but not for writing. So there's been no like hard cavelling yet where someone's been like, I want to do what you do. And then you know, that hasn't happened yet. I have not gotten that, no, okay. which is fine. <laughs> but yes, maybe it's happening secretly in some high school journal. Maybe. I'm sure it is. So, I mean, when we were texting about doing this interview, you were sort of freaking out. Cause you said that like you interview all the people all the time and you don't get interviewed. Right. <laughs> so what, what was your, can you talk a little bit about what your trepidation was about having the tables turned? Um, I mean, I guess it seems easy when you're like asking people questions, like what, when you're interviewing like an athlete or something, they say such boring things. You're always like, come on, like you could have come up with something else to say about that. But it's a lot easier to tell somebody that they could do something better than to do it better. So I guess I was just worried that I would like trip over my words and not be interesting or articulate, which I'm sure everyone is afraid of when they get interviewed. So, but, so, but what, what, but what, how has it felt? What, how does it feel to have to be on the other side? Do you feel, if this is the first major time that you've been interviewed, do you feel, do you understand something about how people feel when you're interviewing them and that impulse or? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're kind of talking about as it's happening, but I just, yeah, this is very meta here, but, um, I guess, yeah, I mean, this is probably, like, one of the easier interviews because I'm just talking about myself. I'm not talking about, like, like anything that I'm super unprepared to talk about, I guess. Right. I mean, there are obviously, like, some things that I have to think about a little bit. But, like, these are all things that I'm just answering off the cuff. It's not like I have to worry about, like, I don't know, saying the wrong thing and, like, getting somebody in trouble or something like that. I don't know. But Is that something you feel like 
you deal with a lot with your I mean like off the record versus on the record is that something you deal with a lot or um a little bit yeah I mean it, it kind of depends like there's you know it's it's not so specific as you see with like I don't know probably like like political reporting or some like more like intense kind of reporting I'm sure there's more of like of that kind of stuff but you definitely I mean I definitely have experienced like people that I'm sort of talking to informally before and after I interview them, they're much looser and they say much more interesting things than when you like have a recorder and you're interviewing them, obviously. Um, so looking towards the future a little bit. So 10 years from now, where, where would you want to sort of be going towards? Would you want to be splitting your time between journalism and fiction? Would you want to be airing more towards fiction, more towards journalism, professional? What would sort of your goal be in 10 years from now if you, if everything went the way you wanted it to? Um, I mean, I would love to be writing books and whether that's fiction or whether that's like nonfiction books, um, I would, I would, I think I would definitely be happy doing that as well to some degree. Um, you know, I would like to have kind of like put in my time, maybe like being on a beat for a pro team. Um, I'd like to live in a couple different places between now and then probably. What, what kind of places in America or outside of America? Um, I mean, the thing that I keep thinking of that I keep coming back to is I really want to try living on the West coast. Um, and I've wanted that for a long time, but I'm kind of thinking of it as a, like, within the next couple of years. Cause, what's, what's the lore of the West Coast? Um, I have been, so my family went on vacation. We, like, drove from Seattle to San Francisco when I was in high school, and I loved San Francisco a lot. I loved Northern California a lot. Um, and I think that's, yeah, obviously I would like to go out there again before I, like, would make the decision to move there. But I would, I don't know, just, it just seems like a different kind of life at a different a different pace of life um you know something that i would be interested in because it's different than where i am and also because san francisco is beautiful um so that's something i'd be interesting and in, like interested in trying to make happen i guess i, I guess it's sort of interesting because and, i mean excuse me for, if i'm presuming but right now you're you're living in the suburbs and that's sort of similar to how you grew up in a similar they're not the exact same but suburbs are suburbs in sort of the same way right so do you feel like you're sort of living in, a, in an alternate version of the place you grew up now or? Yeah, a little bit. Actually, it, the town, I live in East Hampton, which actually reminds me a lot of like my hometown. If my hometown was like close enough to major colleges to have like cool things in it. <laughs> like yeah. if like, so the other night, weirdly, I saw Titus Andronicus here in East Hampton. <laughs> they were, were just, in, just in, hanging out. They Well, no, like they, they played a show. I didn't know. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, they, like, played a show here, which is, like, something that would not happen in my hometown, obviously. Um, but it's, like, I'm sort of in the mountains and, like, in the country a little bit. And, like, the vibe of the town kind of reminds me of my hometown. But, like, there are cool restaurants and, like, bands that I, like, play here, basically. But I guess but your impulse is that you want to go to a bigger, completely different city. Because there's no part of San Francisco that is similar to northeast suburbia. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I mean, I... I want to be in the city. Like, as much as I love it here, I am happy in the city. I love Boston. Um, I would love to be in a city, you know, again, in the next couple of years, definitely. So I, I cut you off. So you want to, would want to be moving around. You want, in the next 10 years, you want to be covering a protein. What was the after that? Um, I mean, hopefully that somehow, tra- I, I would like to, like, the dream kind of, I would love to write for Sports Illustrated um, because I love to write longer form features. I love to write more narrative stuff. Um, that, like, as far as, like, journalism, that would kind of be the dream. Um, so, but I also I, want to write books. Well, I like asking that question because 10 years from now, like, 10 years from today, 
we were entering high school. Right. Like that's the, that is the 10 years. Like that is 10 years. And I think for some people that is where they were in high school and where they are now are radically different. But I feel like mm-hmm. you're, sort, you're sort of on the same track that you were at on high school that you are now. Or do you feel like that's not true? Um, I guess as far as like aspirations – because I feel like I'm a really, really, really different person. Right, but, but I, I guess I want the same things. Yeah. Like, I've always wanted to write. I've always, like, if there was a way I could get paid for writing, I was always going to try and do it. So I guess that hasn't changed. Why do you think that you're a different person but wants the same things? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's sort of, the ways that I'm different, I guess it's sort of more just, like, being comfortable with myself. Like, as a kid, like, especially, like, 10 years ago, I was 13, and I, like, was like a super, super tomboy and like hated like dressing in like traditionally feminine ways and just like didn't like felt really weird and awkward. And like I had friends, obviously I had close friends, but I sort of felt like this weird kid who like wasn't like other people. And I guess now when you're 23, you're around more people who are different than other people than when you're 13. So I guess I just sort of feel more like cool with who I am now. I mean, feel free to, to want to go in depth about that, but what was what did you associate being a tomboy with? Like, what what why did that make you feel? Was that something that you you were mocked for, or was that something that you pushed on yourself? Uh, it was a little bit something that I like got some like crap from other kids for. Yeah, just because like I I like like not like I played sports and like a lot of girls played sports. Obviously, right. like nineties. It it's not like this is like the nineteen fifties. Obviously, right. girls like played basketball, played soccer, whatever. But I just like I don't know I like I didn't I didn't like dressing in girls' clothes like I didn't like like wearing pink or like wearing like cute little like I wore like sports shirts all the time and like basketball shorts, which sort of like I I don't know I just didn't feel comfortable with like like being like girly, which I guess sort of made me like a weird kid, even though I was like not weird in other ways. Uh, I don't know. Was that something that was a rebelling against something, or at the time, or was it something that was just an impulse and you followed that impulse? I think it was just an impulse. Um, it was just kind of like how I felt comfortable. Like I just, I hated wearing dresses. I, I liked playing basketball. And so like, I just sort of like, I was also a very stubborn kid and I didn't want to do anything that didn't like make me feel like super comfortable all the time. I mean, that, that, I mean, that if there's one thing to be stubborn about, it's feeling comfortable. And I guess if, if, mm-hmm. if you felt that you were left out, but you were comfortable with who you are, that's better than being uncomfortable with who you are. And as long as you were comfortable with who you are, that's, that's easier to deal with, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, like, I was, like, I guess I was comfortable with who I was. I was comfortable with, like, and my clothes were comfortable. Um, I, Bitch. yeah, like, that's more, more, I guess, I, I, but I sort of just felt like I was strange, um, more so. Do you, st- do you still feel strange, or? Um, I feel strange, but I know more people who are strange in ways that are at least, like, similar. Strange people are awesome. Weird people yeah, exactly. are the best. Right, like, when you're 13, like, no matter how, like, progressive the people you know are, there is always this, like, pressure of, like, when you're 13, you just want to be like everybody else. You don't want to, like, stand out, really. And, like, once you've been in college, obviously, you know a lot of people who are weird in different ways, and it's a lot more normal to be that way. But your but you're, your job is to write about people and make them stand out. Right. Yes. So <laughs> exactly. do you ever worry that you're doing that to other people? Um, I mean, hopefully I'm not making anybody stand out. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of, like... <laughs> making people feel better. But uh, I guess like, I think there's just an interesting dynamic and that is something that you were, mm-hmm. do you, do you, do you see having that knowledge and remembering being so close to how you felt as a high school athlete affecting the way that you cover sports um, na- profiles now or? 
I don't know. I guess I guess my like not wanting to stand out didn't really have anything to do with like like if somebody had like recognized me for being really good at sports, that would have been like a cool way of standing. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I didn't want to be recognized at all. It was just like I felt like I like I don't know, just that I was like a weird girl. Like my my like way of being a girl was weird. Um, more so than like I would like there was something fundamentally wrong with me or anything. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I guess. I guess I don't. I, I don't necessarily think about that when I'm thinking about like how I deal with writing about like high school kids. But it's probably in there subconsciously. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I imagine there's some sort of sensitivity that you have in your mind, having gone through. Yeah. Being, being close to sort of going through those experiences that you can. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that yeah, there there is a certain yeah. I'm sure there's something in there. It's just not something that I, like consciously think about. I mean, do you think of yourself as a tomboy now, or do you think that that's something that what what is I mean, if, it, if it's something that I, it sounds like it was something that was very, uh, I don't know the right word, but very, um, it's a very potent topic with you. I, I don't want to breach it too much if it was a very hard time yeah, for you, um, but what, what sort of, what, what, what were the, what were the effects of that? Like what, what were, what did that uh, mean? And I guess, I don't, I mean, now I sort of just feel like, I, I don't know, I guess I, I just sort of. Like, once I got to junior high or so, I, it's, like, you kind of start realizing there's, like, more than one way to, like, be, like, a girl. You know, like, you can, like, wear, like, black t-shirts and, like, listen to The Clash all the time. And, like, you can still be, like, a girl. So this, was, this was, like, an elementary school when you really felt that way? It was, yeah. It was definitely elementary school and sort of, like, into junior high a little bit. Um, and I still sort of felt like I, you know, like I was sort of, like, the, like, nerdy, weird kid. But, like, not, like, it was definitely more intensely felt when I was younger. I mean, I mean, I also was the, the nerdy outcast kid. Like, I, I, I know what that feeling is like, and I just... Yeah. I, I know how it can sort of stick with you when you're dealing with a lot of things. And I'm mm. wondering what's... What... what I know, but I, I also know that even when I felt like I was an outcast or things that I drew strength from being knowing that I was... What, what I was doing was okay, even if the other people didn't agree with me. And I'm wondering if you sort of felt that same way, which is that you knew that you were weird, but you knew your parents were support. Like, you knew that that was still okay. And I'm wondering what, if that, yeah, if that was what that was like for you. Yeah, I think I definitely felt that way because my parents were really supportive. And, you know, because I, like, had good friends. It wasn't like I was, like, a like an, like I didn't have any friends, you know. I, right. I had people who, like, supported me and, like, thought that I was perfectly fine. So it was like, yeah, like I knew that I like liked different things than like most of the other kids I knew. But like, yeah, I mean, definitely there was there was a certain sense of like that. That probably is why I felt like so superior about the music that I listened to. Like, oh, like I don't listen to what everybody listens to because like I listen to better things. I listen to yeah. cooler things. Being, you know, being pretentious is a really good way to feel good about yourself. Yeah, it's and a, I, it, it can be it can be bad, but it's there's something about being pretentious and feeling like you've put the work in and discovered things and have mm -hmm. the taste of things that it's, it can, it can come be pretentious when you start excluding other people, but there is something to be said about feeling pride in doing work and finding things that are unique or interesting. There is pride in that. And I think that's, that's still valid. It's when you start like pushing that on other people, it becomes pretentious or obnoxious. Right. Exactly. And I think it's kind of like a life raft for high school kids sometimes who like, you know, you're in high school, you don't know what anything is. Everything's confusing and weird, but like, man, like I like the best music. Like, I know that I know that about myself. Like I'm doing that right. But, and I, but I think, I think that that builds you who you are. And I think that mm. because of you go through those things, now you sort of 
recognize the importance of those things and that how to cope with those things. Yeah, definitely. It's better to deal with those things when you're in middle school or high school than have to deal with them when you're in your 30s or 40s. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So is there anything that you really, that you think, so just to, to tail it, to finish that thing up, what what lessons do you think that you learned about being, having first particular case or, or, or feeling like an outcast that has affected your writing going forward? Uh, a, a journalist is, is by definition a third party. Right. But I feel like that that's not your interest in writing. It's about more about being part of it. Especially right. The creative fiction. So what what is that dynamic? How has that dynamic affected your writing? Um. Geez, I don't know. I would have to think about that. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess obviously every every writer is interested in like representing people who are not always represented because otherwise your stories are super boring and they're about the same people that that always are represented. Um. I don't know. I guess. I don't know, it probably shows up in, like, the characters that I would that I would take the most interest in, I guess. Not necessarily just, like, the outcasty weird character, but, like, people who have, who have had similar, like... I always wind up... I, one of my main problems in writing fiction is that I wind up writing about people who have, like, similar backgrounds to me, because that's just, like, I feel like I don't... I shouldn't presume to write about other people. Um, but I don't know, that's a tough question. I would have to think about more, like, ways that that shows up in my writing. So I don't remember which writer it was. It was a big writer, and it was a really quote that helped me because I'm, I'm working on my trying to be a creative writer too. And somebody said, which is that you never stop. Every character is you. You never mm-hmm. stop writing characters as yourself. You just get better and better at throwing your voice. Yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think that that became clear to me. It was like, this was a big writer, and I wish I remember who said it, but it's that every character is you. You can't really write beside anyone besides your own self. You just get better at masking that impulse or part of yourself and then extrapolating into a character. So I don't think the goal is to stop writing people who are like you, but the goal is to figure out what parts of you right. you can then put in with them, if that makes sense. I think that was yeah. that was a quote that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely something that I think about a lot. We're trying to like, okay, like somebody who has the same, like maybe some, like thinks of things the same way as me, but obviously is not just like a woman from Western Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, I, I definitely, that's something that I have been trying to do more. But yeah, yeah th- throwing, throwing your voice was just the best analogy I heard for it. It's yeah, good. yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we, we've been, we've been, we've been talking for a while. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I missed or? Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we pretty much covered, we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is there anything in particular? I mean, we talked about like family and like where I'm from and all is that there, kind of stuff. That, that fundamentally a, a story that you think about yourself that you associate with yourself that you feel A story that I can think of? That defines you or sort of that sticks in your head as someone that this defines this defines a self-defining story. Or your... Um, I'm sure there is, but no, right no, now... No, I'm... Nothing that's, that immediately comes to mind that you forgot to talk about. No, um, no, nothing that's on the top of your tongue that you wanted to talk about or... Not really necessarily. Nothing, you know. I don't know. Um, you know. We've covered. I feel like we've covered most of most of the important things. My emotional attachment to sporting teams and <laughs> moving to Boston and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I feel like we've covered a lot. Okay, so I've been accosting you with questions for a while. 
this is, it's your turn to be a journalist again. You get to ask me. You can ask me a question or two if you want. Um, so now I'm out of journalist mode. I like don't have anything. <laughs> I, this is another thing. Like I've heard all these podcasts, and I and I know that there are things that I want to ask you, but you, know. you, can, you, can, uh, a, you can take a second. We can you can think about it for a second. You can. So what made you want to like start taking this hockey class right now? Um, that's a good question. Um, I've just been sort of in this mode the last year or so because I don't know what I want to do with my life right now, mm. which is to just say yes to everything mm. and not have an excuse that I have no excuse not to do it. So it's, you know what? I've always kind of wanted to do hockey. Why not just take the class? There's nothing stopping me right now. I have no reason to do it. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. But it's, it's, it's just sort of throwing myself into the situation where I have the time and I have the means to try it. And if I don't like it, I do. And I mean, was I, am I, Am I going to the rink every day and committing to it as hard as that? maybe I should? No, I'm not. But I'm going to go get my own pair of skates soon and I'll go start practicing by myself. And it's something that even if I end up, you know, not doing it every day, it's something that I can look back and go, but, you know, I tried it. It's not something that's always sort of been on my head that I wanted to do and that I should have done it earlier. Instead of getting mad at myself for not doing it when I was in high school mm-hmm. or not doing it in college, because might as well do it now so I'm not angry at myself five years from now than not doing it. It was just something I want to try and might as well just try it. And yeah. there's no worse time than today and not getting mad at myself for not trying it years ago and not doing it when it was free at BU or right. when my school had a high school team, not doing it then and not getting mad at myself for not doing it in the past, but just giving myself the, having the opportunity of doing it now. Does that make, is that a fair question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that completely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. And like, am I gonna? I think I think the ship has sailed on me being a professional hockey player. But, yeah, probably. But it's you know it's something that's fun to do. And it, literally, the last class was the other day, and it's just like basic skating. It's not like actual hockey stuff yet. It's just like learning how to like back check and uh, do like three point turns and all that kind of stuff. And it was like the last fifteen minutes, so I was just trying to see how fast I could go mm-hmm. up and down the rink. And while this was happening. Some guy was just skating backwards right into me, and I wiped out hard. Oh! And I'm like falling down. I was like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I'm like, I'm like, I'm fine." I'm like, also that was kind of fun. I kind of like being rammed into and having to get back up again. I'm like, "Oh, so I should probably do the do stick with the hockey thing." I might, yeah, exactly. Hockey I might be this weird sadomasochist who plays hockey who likes getting hit at ninety miles an hour for no reason. Right. That's a good thing to have, though. If you're going to yeah. play hockey, like you shouldn't hate that. Like yeah. you should, you shouldn't run away from that. And if I've learned one thing over this, taking this hockey class, is I can now like get up after I fall down without having to like crawl to the side of the boards and like yes. drag myself up. Oh Be my able God. to like balance myself up while I'm in the middle of the ice. Yeah, it's worth it just for that. Yes, that is a, a big step forward, definitely. It's, I, it's also, I think, one of the lessons I've learned, and this is, it seems like just a small thing about hockey, is that. Sometimes the more you think about what you're doing, the harder it is. Yes. And when I was like, when I started skating backwards, the first time I was actually able to do it, I'm like, I was doing it great. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, and then the second, I'm like, holy shit, I'm skating backwards. And then I fell. Right. <laughs> and then like the second, it's sort of like, you sort of have to trust yourself to know what you're doing and not become overly aware of what you're doing in the moment and just sort of let yourself go. And the more that you sort of overthink what you're doing as you're doing it, the more you can sort of screw things up. Right. I think that's an important lesson to learn. Yeah. And also not to give up 
be, and blame yourself and just figure out that it's probably the skates. It's a big right. It is your skates are probably too big. That's yes. pro- the problem. <laughs> yeah, but that was actually something that I really love about playing hockey too. Is that like once you get to a certain point and you know what you're doing, you really can kind of just like not think. You you kind of can just like lose yourself and just playing and yeah. like you're not you're not thinking like okay like I need to cut here and do this. Like it's it's a really it's a really cool feeling to be able to do that. Also sticking a piece of metal to the bottom of your shoe and skating on frozen water to me is just spiting god (laughs) exactly god you did not design our bodies to do this but we are doing it anyway and we should we'll probably it's just like there's a for something that is such an unnatural thing for a body to be doing for it to become a second nature thing is a really interesting feeling to have we're just like this is spiting god but it feels completely normal and i'm not thinking about it anymore yeah, the body true. was not designed to skate on ice. I was talking about this someone the other day, but I was watching. I, did you see Frozen? I've not seen it actually. I'm like the one person in America who's not seen Frozen. Okay, so like basic premise is that they're in this like sort of summery Nordic town, but it never gets cold. Like it's just sort of like a very warm town. And at the end, with her ice powers, she freezes the entire town, and everyone just like starts skating around. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is the most unbelievable part of the movie. Not that the girl has created ice and covered this town in ice, but that people who have never been on skates before are just naturally doing <laughs> just like summer. School. Yeah. Just yeah. skating around. I'm like, this is not logical. They'd be falling all over the place. This is the part of the movie that is irrationally yeah. making me angry. Seriously. They should have been like the, the Parks and Rec episode where they have to do the rally out on the ice and they all like walk out yeah. and fall over. That's what it should have been. I'm like, I can accept a girl who randomly has ice powers. That fiction <laughs> I can accept. Yes. The idea that people who have never been on skates before are doing, like, pirouettes, that, this is a step too far. Yeah, talking, no. talking snowman, fine. This is a step too far. This is where I'm, I'm checking out here. Absolutely. I'm with you. Okay, great. Was, that, was there another question besides hockey, or did that... Um, no, I think, yeah, that, that's all I got right now. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, glad I did it. Cool. Thanks so much, Annie. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on.